Well, welcome, church, to our Good Friday service here at Palm Vista Community Church. My name is Corey Smidgen. I'm a pastor here. It is my privilege and joy to be able to lead you tonight through our brief Good Friday service. It's also my joy to see many of our children with us this evening as well. And I am so glad you are here with us. And I do believe that God, as well as children, wants to speak to you tonight through his word. And guests, thank you as well for being here to join with us in celebration. And our hope is this, if you are a guest, that you would come back, return on Sunday to hear how the story of Good Friday ends. In other words, to hear the rest of the story on Easter Resurrection Sunday. So if you like a good story, an eternally true story with a great ending, you're at the right place. You're at the right place this evening. You've come to the right place on Good Friday because you've come to God's Word, which will be shared this evening. And with that in mind, let's go to God's Word now. Let's turn to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. And we're going to start in a few moments in verse 45 as we read the Good Friday narrative this evening. Matthew 27, verse 45 through 54. As you're turning there in your Bibles. I have a question for you as well. And it's this. When your life is over here on earth, how do you want to be remembered? How do you want to be remembered? Have you ever had that thought? I know I have a number of times. I suspect most of us would want to be remembered by our life, things we did in our life, maybe the course of our life, perhaps something you did at a point in time in your life. Perhaps you want to be remembered for what you said or perhaps for what you professed to believe. Well, how did Jesus Christ of Nazareth want to be remembered? It's interesting. It wasn't through his many, many miracles which he performed that are important, that attested to his divinity, his messiahship. It wasn't through the many examples of his teaching, as wise as they were and are. No, Jesus wanted to be remembered, first and foremost, by his death. That is why the historic universal symbol of Christianity is the cross. For that is how Jesus Christ wanted to be remembered. You know what else? Jesus made a very specific provision for how he wished to be remembered. And he preserved it in his will, the Bible. And it's called the Lord's Supper or communion. At Jesus' last meal, at what is called the Last Supper with his disciples, Jesus instructed his followers to eat bread and to drink wine. Why? In memory of his body broken and his blood shed on the cross. And then Christ said these words after he gave the instructions. 
he said this. Do this in remembrance of me. So this evening, we have remembered Christ's death in song. Right now, we're going to remember Christ's death by examining the scriptures. And then, at the conclusion of our service, we're going to remember Christ's death by receiving communion. And in doing so, I pray that you would understand that you would remember why Good Friday is so very good to all those who have placed their saving faith in Christ Jesus. With that in mind, let us read our text, our passage this morning. Matthew 27, I'm going to read verses 45 through 54. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders, hearing it, said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God of God. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, would you this evening incline our ears? Would you open our eyes? And would you nourish our souls with your love, with your grace as we perceive it And as we receive it, through this text, through your word, and the cross this evening we pray, amen. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Never in all eternity has there been uttered a sentence more full of anguish. To quote Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon. Verse 45 speaks to this anguish in picture form in the, most, in the most foreboding of ways. We read in verse 45, Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. That is, from the sixth hour, which is about noon in the Jewish reckoning of time, to about the ninth hour, roughly 3 p.m. From noon to 3 p.m., the middle of the day, 
there was darkness. The hour of Christ's crucifixion had come. The reason for which Jesus, the Son of God, had come to earth had arrived. And it was greeted and preceded by complete, utter darkness. 39 books of the Old Testament and over 2,000 years of human history had led to this very point in time, 33 AD, to this very place, Jerusalem, to this very person, Jesus Christ, to this very cross, and to this very darkness. You see, that day, there was no solar eclipse that could be explained by astronomy. But this was the time of the Passover. And the Passover occurred during a full moon. This past Tuesday, we had a full moon. Did you see it? Yeah, it was Passover. A solar eclipse can only occur during a new moon, not a full moon. No, this darkness was a supernatural act of God. And the best explanation was that it was God's own divine judgment. It was God's foretold wrath for humanity's sinful rebellion, which had been suspended no more. And it came like the night, like a thunderhead, a foreboding thunderstorm rolling in on a hot summer South Florida day. You see, what was happening around Christ as he hung there on the cross was testifying to what was happening within him, the Son of God. After six agonizing, lonely hours of hanging on the cross, Christ broke the deafening silence and gave voice to the storm within, crying into the darkness, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These are the only words spoken by Jesus on the cross in which the book of Matthew and Mark record. But what do we make of these words? Perhaps you read those, you hear those, and you find these words rather perplexing, if not downright chilling. Perhaps you might even wonder, at this moment when Jesus hung there on the cross, if he was not a little confused or perhaps just a little surprised at the terrible isolation and anguish he was experiencing. The church, we're not left with that conclusion. I have three simple observations to make this evening. Number one is this. Jesus was not surprised. Jesus was well apprised. He was not surprised. He was well apprised. He knew exactly what was going on and what he was doing when he went to the cross and when he died. Only hours earlier in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus had prayed as a sweat, as he sweat tears like blood. And he prayed this prayer. We have recorded in Matthew 26. My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Christ knew exactly what was being asked of him by the Father. He was being asked to drink 
the cup of God's wrath. The very storm around him that he was now experiencing within him as he hung there on the cross. And hang there he did, willingly, submissively, as our substitutes, bearing, bearing the punishment for our sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 puts it this way. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Let's walk to these words carefully. God made him. Who's the him? Jesus. The second person of the Trinity. God in flesh. God made him who had no sin, who was perfect, who was holy, who completely pleased God and was pleasing to God the Father in every manner and way. He made him who knew no sin to be sin. That is to take the curse of sin upon himself as if he had actually sinned. And he did it for us as our substitutes in our place as the bearer of your sin, of my sin, of everyone for whom sins he died for. Oh, church, Jesus was not surprised. He knew his role in God's plan of redemption. He knew what it would cost. Please, measure the worth of Christ's love by such a cost as this, of Jesus as our sin bear on the cross. But perhaps you may think, perhaps we may think or even argue, okay, Christ knew that his mission was to bear our sin upon the cross. But under the weight and the torment, the anguish of God's wrath, Jesus in his weakened humanity only imagined that he was being abandoned by God, his Father. The church were not left with that conclusion either. And that leads to the second observation. Jesus was not mistaken. Jesus was forsaken. Oh, he wasn't mistaken. Jesus was truly forsaken on the cross. In becoming our sin bearer, Jesus was cut off, separated from God. It's what sin, defined as a rebellion against God, our rejection of God, does it cuts us off from a holy God and it kills us. And it was no different for Jesus who became our sin in our place. Think about it for a moment. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, had only known perfect fellowship with God. For all eternity, he had been in constant touch, so to speak, in constant communion with God his Father. For all eternity, Jesus had known the unqualified approbation and approval of his father. That approval that thundered from heaven down to the shores on the River Jordan when he was baptized. That thundered on the Mount of Transfiguration on that glorious day when he heard these words from the father. This is my beloved son with whom 
I am well pleased. Now, on the cross, at a time when it seemed like Jesus needed the testimony and praise of the Father the most, God was silent. Jesus was cut off, separated from his Father. Oh, Jesus wasn't mistaken. He was forsaken. For you, for me, church, measure the height of Christ's love for you by such a depth as this. But there's one more observation we must make which should embolden every child of God here. Although Jesus was forsaken, he was not shaken. Oh yes, he was forsaken, but he was not shaken and neither shall we be. Jesus trusted in God in echoing the psalmist from Psalm 21, verse 1, in which we read, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Christ clings to God, his Father. My God, my God. Christ has not lost his confidence in God, the Father, but expresses his trust. You see, these were not words of self-pity. They were not. We read in verse 46 that Jesus, oh, he didn't whimper, He didn't mourn. He cried out with a loud voice. He didn't cry out in pain and anguish in a loud voice to be heard by the God, his father, as if God owed him some explanation or some pity for what he was going through on the cross. No, I believe with all my heart in my study that he did it to be heard. He did it to be heard by you by me and every bystander of the cross. Friends, are you listening this evening? Christ was our knowing, willing sin bearer on the cross until his final breath, when he, under his own volition and will, yielded his spirit. Why? Oh, he did it in submission to the Father. He did it for everyone who rejected, denied, despised, and mocked him. He did it for you. He did it for me. Remember 2 Corinthians 5.21? God made him who had no sin to be sin for us? Well, that's at the conclusion of the verse. It doesn't stop there. It goes on to say, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, he did it. He died on the cross. He was forsaken, that we may be forgiven and made right with God, made righteous, that we might be acceptable and pleasing to God, that we might never, ever be forsaken by God. And here we have the answer, the answer to why Good Friday is so good. Because Christ was forsaken so that for all eternity we would not have to. Christ was forsaken so for all eternity we would not have to. And all that we read 
in the following verses in this text, verse 51 to 54, is an exclamation point to this very fact. All the wild stuff we read about from here on in verse 51. The temple curtain, what separated man from the holy of holies, God's very indwelling, embodying presence. That curtain that blocked the way was torn in two. A temple curtain that reportedly was 60 feet long, 30 feet tall or wide, and as thick as a man's palm. It's told that it took 300 people to lift this curtain when it was wet. And it was this curtain that was torn in two when Christ exhaled his last breath. Oh, it wasn't torn by the hands of man. No, it was torn from the top down. A supernatural act of God signifying that Jesus' death has made a way for sinners to have access to God. That we are not forsaken. For all those who have saving faith in Christ Jesus, that we will never be forbidden from coming into his presence. That we will never, ever be turned away by God. That we will never be forsaken by God. Yesteryear's sin, yesterday's sin, today's sin, and the future sin that we commit will not bar me. It will not block me. It will not curtain me off from God's presence. And the same for you and for all those in Christ Jesus. But the narrative doesn't stop there. We read on that the earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs were opened, and dead saints were brought back to life. Matthew is apparently collapsing time now and speaking of the resurrection, of a resurrection that follows Christ's own resurrection. Verse 53. It's like Matthew can't wait to get to Easter, so he rushes ahead and says, oh, I want you to hear it now. The death of death has begun now at Calvary. Not only will God not forsake us in life, but he will not abandon us in death as well. We need not fear death. Oh, in a world that avoids the topic of death, in a world that attempts to deny or even turn back the inevitable, we as Christians can peer six feet down and look into the grave and say, you have no hold on me. You will not forsake me in life and you will not abandon me in death. Oh, that felt good. (laughs) On this Good Friday, may we join the chorus of those at the end of our story in verse 54, who proclaim with awe, truly, truly, this was the Son of God. He who was forsaken so that for all eternity we would not have to. Church, that's good news. Church, that's the best of news. Church, That's Good Friday.